We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Transformative Principal Podcast, where we learn how to be an amazing educational leader. I am your host, Jethro Jones. Are you ready to be a transformative principal? I'm looking for about 10 people who are ready to do what it takes to lead with integrity, find balance, and take your school to the next level. If you're looking to improve your leadership in a measurable way, go to transformativeprincipal.org slash mastermind to see if you qualify to join a group of like-minded people who are ready to be the best principals in the country. Welcome to Transformative Principal. We are in for a treat today. I am talking with Tom Braddock, the principal of Evergreen Elementary, and you're going to love this conversation. We're going to talk about his alternative to violence class uh, that he taught at the high school that became the most popular course at a school and how he did that. Just really great stuff. Definitely something that I think we can all benefit from and you're going to really enjoy learning from him. So thank you so much for listening. This is a inspiring interview because he talks about how to deal with some of the crazy things that are happening in our world and how you can make a difference in your classroom. So uh, please share this with somebody who needs some uh, additional motivation to keep fighting the good fight and how to make their school even better than it already is. So without further ado, here is my interview with Tom Braddock. All right. Welcome to Transformative Principal. I'm excited to have as my guest today, Tom Braddock, the principal of Evergreen Elementary in Woodbury, New Jersey. And uh, it's always fun getting people from the East Coast because they're so far ahead of me in time when I'm out here in Alaska. And he's almost ready for bed and I'm just getting up. So, Tom, thank you so much for being a part of the Transformative Principal today. My pleasure, Jethro. Thanks for having me. So we talked a little bit before about your past experiences. And I'd love it if you'd share a little bit about how you got into education education and how you got to the position where you're currently at. Absolutely. Yeah. I uh, always grew up with a a sense of purpose and mission and wanted to give back to the community that I thought raised me so well. And uh, I thought I was going to run for public office. It was really what I I was on track to do. I went to college 
Uh, I was an international relations major at St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia. And the interesting thing was the last semester of my uh, senior year, I spent interning down in Washington, D.C. And my roommate at the time was former Speaker of the House Jim Wright's grandson. And uh, just the stories between uh, his family and the things I experienced during part of my internship, I got jaded on politics really quickly. Man, that didn't take long. No, internship. It, <laughs> it did not. And I wanted no parts of uh, politics after that. And what was was really cool is I, I met a gentleman by the name of Coleman McCarthy. He gave a speech and he said, one of the most noble things you could do with your life is to become an educator and to develop the youth. And I went up to him after that talk and I said, listen, I want to go to work for you. I was sort of taking the bull by the horns and uh, he was working in inner city schools, teaching alternatives to violence to students. And I just wanted to be a part of that. And he let me do it. And the only way I can describe it is it was like putting on prescription glasses and finally being able to see clearly. And at that point, I knew what I wanted to do with my life, but it was a little late. So fortunately, New Jersey had a dire need for teachers at the time. And they had what was called the alternative route, which is still in place today. And I went back to my alma mater and Asked them what I needed to do to become an alternate route teacher. And my superintendent, who was there when I was a student, loved me and told me what I needed to do. And fortunately, a position opened up. And I started in the fall of 2001 and just absolutely dove in headfirst and, and uh, soaked up as much as I possibly could to become the best teacher possible. My first year, was I was not the best. I was, I was probably terrible. Yeah. But by year three, I, I was getting in the groove, and they provided us with great professional development. And by year five... I had become the youngest uh, teacher of the year in the history of that school district. And part of that was because I, I had brought that peace studies or alternatives to violence class to the school district. And I became the number one elective in the school. And kids were just really hungry for it. And at the time, I, I have a young family. So I, I wanted another challenge and needed an increase in pay. Couldn't raise my, my family on a teacher salary at the time with my wife at home with our kids and took on the challenge of becoming an administrator. And so I spent the seven year, seven and a half years in the classroom as a high school teacher and then uh, got my administrative degree. And it's funny, my students always told me, Mr. Braddock, this, this class is off the charts, but it's too late for us. It's almost like a Band-Aid. Um, this stuff, this yeah. stuff needs to be down in the elementary level. And, uh, you know, I was scratching my head when they said that to me. I'm like, how am I ever going to get down to elementary? But it made sense by doing so through administration. So my goal was to work my way down into a middle school as an assistant principal. And hopefully I, I would do a, a great enough job there that that school district, if they had an opening in their elementary school, they would give me an elementary principal position. And that's exactly what happened. I, I landed in Woodbury City Public Schools as the assistant principal of the junior high school, grades six through eight. And I worked that job for the last seven and a half years. And then fortunately, this past summer, one of the coveted positions that I wanted opened up and at Evergreen Avenue Elementary School. And I, I'm now the principal there. Well, that's that's pretty cool. And uh, one of the things that I started out teaching middle and high school as well, also doing alternative routes to, to licensure and really loved doing it, but felt the same way about uh, we need to start a little bit sooner. Absolutely. So I was a assistant principal in elementary school and then most recently a middle school principal and I'm excited about getting possibly back down to elementary again awesome. and having some some impact there as well. So talk a little bit about this alternative to violence elective that you mentioned and, and what that entailed at the high school level and then we'll bring it down to what you're doing at the elementary school level. Sure, absolutely. So when I was when I was teaching for Coleman in uh, Washington DC at a place called School Without Walls, his program that he had designed was a little more, I would say, literature based. And I knew after 
I wouldn't say being a veteran teacher, but in my third year, that's when we developed the course. And uh, I knew it had to be a little more experiential. And I was going to have students who were honor students all the way to special needs students. And they wanted to pack the class as to the brims if possible. And so I was, I was teaching the class 36 kids deep, kids who were all varying levels, socioeconomic levels, and kids who were children who never got in trouble and then kids who were, you know, alleged gang members in our school district. And I knew I had to make that class engaging. So what we did, and I'm a firm believer that world peace starts with me. And so what we did is when I designed the, the class, I started with the individual. What can I do on a daily basis to be more positive, productive, and peaceful. And then the next unit after we we went through that, I went into interrelationships. When I'm interacting with other people, you know, what can I do to be more positive, productive, and peaceful? And and we provided them with the, the skills to do just that. And then once we went there, we started looking at communities and the nation. And I went through a lot of the different nonviolent civil disobedience movements that happen around the world. You know, the overthrow of Augusto Pinochet in Chile. Uh, we looked at, you know, the overthrow of a dictator. We looked at uh, apartheid in South Africa, solidarity in Poland, obviously the civil rights movement in, in our country, and many more. Uh, just because I, I wanted kids to see that civil disobedience is a, a powerful, powerful weapon. And even though the 20th century was probably the bloodiest century uh, of all time, it was also one of the greatest times for civil disobedience movements and peace making a tremendous difference and bringing about change. And uh, so the, the students soaked that up, and, and we really had a great discussion about each of those movements that we uh, took a deep, deep dive into. And then we started looking at the world. You know, what, what could be done? We were trying to come up with outside-the-box ideas, and we were looking at the amount of money that, you know, countries spend on the military versus, you know, how much they're spending on developing their youth. And we looked at a lot of different social issues around the world. And if we had sort of flipped things on its head, what, what might the world look like? And uh, so the, the class culminated with a project where the kids took everything that they learned from becoming more peaceful themselves in their daily life to when they interact with people, becoming a little more peaceful and nonviolent. And then uh, what they could do within our own country as they become leaders to make our own country a little more peaceful and nonviolent, and then what we could do as a, as a world. And it was absolutely fantastic. I still have kids coming and, you know, sharing memories that they had in that class. And what was interesting is a number of them actually went on to college to study peace. And uh, I had one young lady who actually went down to the University of Richmond and uh, designed her own major because of the, cool. the experience she had in my class. And it was all around you know, peace and nonviolence. And, and basically now she works with nonprofits and helping them get up on their feet. And uh, she's just such a social advocate. It's, it's not even funny. So you never know how far your ripples as an educator, your ripples going to go. And I, I just feel really excited when I hear about the youth that took that class, um, what kind of an impact they're having today. It's, it's great. You know, Facebook helps with that. You know, you get to see the difference that they're making. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, I wonder what it was that actually pulled the students into that class because it's interesting to study all of those things, but what do you attribute the actual success of why kids wanted to be in that class to? What was it that made them want to be there? You know what? It was it was a practical class. You know, we, we teach kids two plus two equals four and they leave school knowing two plus two equals four, but they don't leave knowing that an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. And so I made the class as practical as could be. I made it fun. 
and engaging. Uh, we weren't just sitting there and I just wasn't, you know, delivering, you know, stories to them or anything like that. We were, we were getting up, we were interacting. I, I remember I did a, uh, a world hunger simulation with them one time and it just was really, the simulation was about power and just to see how it would play out. I mean, the kids were so engaged. It's the most I've ever, as, a, as an educator, I've been able to engage kids. But I think deep down, we, we all want peace. Who wants turmoil in their life? Who wants, you know, violence in their life? No one does. At the, at the end of the day, I think all of our spirits call for peace. And, and I think once the kids started hearing about how practical the class was, I mean, I, I had this one young lady uh, named Zalita. This young lady was known for fighting all the time, right? And part of it was she didn't know any other way. She only knew what she knew and what she was taught at home and in the streets of our community. And yeah. she took that class and she vowed after taking that class, Mr. Braddock, I'm never going to fight again. And she actually ended up going into the military. And she, she just, that was a huge victory to know that what I taught that young lady changed her entire paradigm and she was going to commit her life to, you know, elevating it to a whole nother level. And so I think when the kids started hearing of those stories and they started seeing changes in their friends and, you know, kids committing to being more positive, productive and peaceful, you know, it, it's attractive. You know, it's attractive to, to youth and they want what, what the other kids had. And so that's why, you know, that class ended up becoming the number one elective. And I was 36 kids deep where most of the electives yeah. were, you know, around 20 or so students. Yeah. Well, you know, I think one of the other parts of that is once you're able to not use violence as a way to solve your problems, then you start to have this confidence and ability to deal with things that starts to get noticed. And I imagine there are tons of stories of that, right? It was, yeah. So, I mean, it's as simple as we were changing their language and their communication styles. And, you know, when we were going into the interrelationships, I told them, listen, when you when you communicate people with people and you're in a conflict with someone and you're coming at them, well, you did this and you did that. Of course, if anybody's hearing those you statements, they're going to feel attacked and they're going to want to, you know, retaliate and maybe defend themselves. I said, but when you approach someone that you're in a conflict with and you say, listen, I'm feeling really frustrated you know, when you did this, or I feel frustrated when you did this because, and then share the impact that it had on you. How can they argue with your feelings? They can't, and it diffuses the situation. So kids found using I statements very empowering. I said, I'm going to teach you how to get more of what you want in life. Who wants more of what you want in life? And, you know, all their hands would go up and they'd be excited about it. And I would show them, I'd say, listen, I get so much more from life now and just from people in general that I interact with just from communicating differently. How cool is that? You know, and they all thought that that was cool. And, you know, when they can actually get those kind of results in their own life, then it becomes real. And then they they really believed in what I was teaching them and and, uh, it just, you know, went from there. But it was just it just baffled me when they, you know, because I thought I was moving mountains in that classroom. But then when they said to me one day, Mr. Braddock, it's too late at this point. You got to get you got to get this in elementary. It's it's like a Band-Aid by the time you're putting it uh, or implementing this with us. You know, that that just really hit me like a ton of bricks. But I knew deep down in my heart that they were right. And uh, that's why I went on my journey to, to get down to the elementary level. Uh, that's pretty amazing. Before we get to the elementary level, though, I do want to talk a little bit about your world hunger simulation. Sure. I'm currently reading a book uh, called The Wave, which is about a simulation that 
uh, simulated Nazi Germany. And it's a pretty interesting story. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But I also, on episode 118 of this podcast, The Transformative Principle, I had an interview with uh, Ken Spiro about education leadership sims and simulations. So there's a link to that in the show notes as well at transformativeprinciple.org. And simulations are a really powerful way to learn a concept or an approach. And if you listen to that one, it talks about how educational leaders can learn and grow by participating in simulations. So I want to talk about what the simulation looked like with your students regarding world hunger. Yeah, it was interesting. It was really, um, we talked about world hunger. We looked at statistics. We looked at all those things. But what I did is it was really, it really became a simulation of power between the haves and have nots, which, you know, obviously that there's an issue there with, with world hunger. I mean, I would go out and I would purchase a large number of uh, chips and Doritos, and that would be representative of the food. And, and I would give it to a small group uh, within the front. Uh, of my classroom, and then I would break the class up into a small small power group in the front. Um, there were some intermediaries in the middle, and then there was the the have-nots in the back. And I really didn't tell them who was who. I just told the individuals in the front, I said, this is your food. You need to try to keep it and protect it. You know, it's your food, and but you can decide what you want to do with it, but just remember, it's your food. And then I would go to the uh, the kids in the back, and I'd say, listen, they have everything. You have nothing. What are you going to do about that? And I would, I would just set the tone there, and, and I didn't give them any kind of expectations. Just what are you going to do about it? And same thing with the, with the other students in the front. And, uh, and I, would let it, I would let it go and see what would happen. And every class was different. There was one class out of all of my classes who the, the haves actually decided to. And I, it was remarkable because it never happened in any of the other classes that I taught Throughout, and I, I mean, I, I literally probably taught a thousand kids in that course over the time that I was teaching there. And one class, the haves ended the simulation early and they ended up sharing all the food with the have-nots. But for the most part, what happened is the haves would build a fortress. They would have the, the biggest person in their group defend and maybe the, a few of the biggest people in their group. And I would purposely do that too. I would, I would purposely put the biggest individuals in my classroom and the strongest um, as the haves. And I would put everybody else in the have-nots, sort of representing, you know, military strength, so on and so forth. Yeah. And then those who were the have-nots were tended to be the smaller, you know, students in the class as well. And um, most of the times the haves would really fight them and try to protect the food and not share it. And every now and then they would send, uh, the, the have-nots would send people forward to try to negotiate and offer things up uh, just to get some of the food. And sometimes they were somewhat successful. There was some mercy shown and a little bit shared, but definitely not the bulk of the food uh, was usually hoarded for the, for the, the haves. And then we would debrief that. We would debrief that conversation. We would look at some more statistics uh, on what was going on in the world. And we would look at the wealth in the world and how it was distributed. And fantastic conversations were had with the students on just what their thoughts were about that. And, you know, was it just? And if not, you know, what could be done? Or it was just I would just try to guide them through a, a very spirited conversation, and uh, it was it was fascinating. It was fascinating to see how their young minds worked and what they thought about our own country and and uh, where we stood and what we should be doing and what we should not be doing. Wow, that's pretty cool. What do you think? Were there any negative side effects of doing the simulations? Things that uh, kids got their feelings hurt, or how did you deal with those those aspects? 
I mean, we had sort of set the tone in my class. They, they sort of knew we're, we were just one family in my class. So even if we were engaging in a simulation, they knew what the rules were. You know, I always used to have, <laughs> I used to have four simple rules, you know, and one of those was always keeping it Disney, uh, number one. And uh, even though I would say, you know, I, I don't want to hear, you know, nowadays Disney is a little, little more uh, off color than it used to be. But, you know, we're always going to keep it Disney in here and we're always going to make sure that we're respecting everybody's opinions and, and uh, beliefs and we're not going to, you know, denigrate anybody in here. And so my, my kids in my classes at the time, I had kids telling me that they felt safer and more at home in my class than they did sometimes going on to their own home. Uh, and they never wanted the class to end. You know, oftentimes the, the end of the, when the class was coming to a close, there would be tears that would be shed because they couldn't believe it was over. Um, so I never really had an issue with kids being mean or, or feelings hurt. Or if there were, we, you know, we could talk about it. And um, I, I think maybe in all the classes I taught, it may have happened once or twice. And in my, in my eight years of teaching, I think I may have on one hand could count the number of discipline referrals that maybe I had to address and that was seven, yeah seven and a half years of teaching. I, I we we just didn't have that. It was I really feel if you set the tone and you lead with love, and and I'm doing that as an administrator as well. You lead with love, and I'm just a firm believer. Kids don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, and you you can't teach them until you reach them. And so my my goal in every one of the classes that I taught was to right out of the gate prove to the kids that I cared about them and that I was going to conduct things a little differently. So much so, Jethro, that um, the very first day of class in my outside of my peace studies class, but in my U.S. History 1 and World History classes, I would give them a quiz the second day of class on our rules. And I would tell them that, listen, if you get 100% on this quiz, your parents don't have to know what the quiz was on. All they have to know is that you got 100 on it. And I promise you, if you get 100 on this, I'm calling your parents on Friday <laughs> and uh, letting them know that you got 100 on your first quiz. And that's the first communication they're ever going to have with me. And I'm telling you, boy, that that's awesome. And and my wife knew. Listen, on the first week of school that Friday, I'm going to be home late because I'm calling every single family of the kid that got 100. And every kid always got 100 on that. And you know, I would tell them. I said, think about it. You know, how cool would it be? I don't know what your history is, but maybe you've been getting phone calls home that were negative. How cool is it going to be when your teacher calls home and tells your parents you got 100 on your first quiz and I'm so excited to be your teacher and, and uh, you know, you're off to a great start. You know, what's your weekend going to look like? And they'd all laugh and get excited. And sure enough, man, I had them hook, line, and sinker after that next week. You know, they were ready to come in and learn and they knew that I was, I was different. I was going to do things a little differently for them and they could trust me and, and know I had their back. Yeah. What an awesome strategy. I love that, man. That is so cool because it's so important to have positive phone calls home. Absolutely. And, and if it can be an academic one in the first week of school, that's fantastic. So can I tell you, there were parents that would literally cry on the phone on that first phone call and yeah. say, Mr. Braddock, thank you so much. You don't, you don't know what this means. I've never gotten a positive phone call home before. And uh, so that, that cinched it for me when I would hear those, those tears and those comments and that, you know, these were high school kids and the parents have never gotten a positive phone call home. That's crazy. That, that blew my mind. And so, you know, I just, I just, you know, stuck to my guns from that moment forward. And I just made a commitment that I was going to become the best teacher I possibly could be. I was going to love up on these kids as much as I possibly could. And they were going to know it. Yeah. That's awesome. What were your four classroom rules? 
you're going to make me remember, man. It's been a while now. But one was, like, <laughs> one was like, be prepared. It was very simple, like, be prepared, be active. You know, I wanted them to participate. And gosh, what was the other one? Oh, be here. I wanted them, you know, you can't learn if you're not here. Um, so be here, be prepared, be active, and keep it Disney. Those were the four, those were the four rules. Okay. Phew, I'm glad you remembered that. That could have gotten awkward real fast. But. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that was a really great interview with Tom. Next week, we're going to talk about what he's doing at the elementary school to make them more successful in the beginning so that it's not a band-aid, that it's not too late. And you're going to really enjoy that interview. Thank you so much for listening to Transformative Principle. If you wouldn't mind taking a moment to review this podcast in iTunes and share it with some friends, that really helps other people find it. So in the show notes at transformativeprinciple.org, there's a little link to iTunes. Go ahead and click that and just leave a quick review. That would mean the world to me. Thank you so much and have a great week. Transformative Principles is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators by educators. Visit edupodcastnetwork.com for more great podcasts. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com slash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E.